Well, today we're going to be in two different letters. We're going to cover two different books. They're short little books, so we're able to do so. We're going to actually be in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, but we're going to actually start in 2 Peter, and then we're going to go back to 1 Peter. At, no, I'm sorry, we're going to do the other way around. We're going to start in 1 Peter, then go to 2 Peter, and then go back to 1 Peter. And so I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll be in that uh, passage in just a moment. But it's important for us to understand exactly what these letters are written to do? What is it that God wanted to accomplish through these words that he used the Apostle Peter to write? Now, obviously, we know that he wrote these letters. It actually says that he wrote these letters. He wrote them in about 63 or 64 AD, and that's an important distinction to know. And the reason is because around 64 AD is when Peter was actually crucified. He was executed for his faith in Christ by the Emperor Nero in the middle of all the the persecution that Nero brought to the church. And so the letters that we read today, the words that we read today were breathed out through the Holy Spirit of God into the hands and the hearts and the, uh, the life of Peter as he shares with us what would be his last will and testament. And it's a statement that he wrote not to the unbelievers, but he wrote it to the believers. He wrote it to those who had trusted in Christ, and the purpose behind the entire both books is just simply this, to remain faithful. And I think as a lot of the books in the New Testament do, it speaks to us in today's world, in today's culture, just as much as it spoke to those back in the early first century, to speak to us that we must remain faithful because there is attacks from every side. Every single day we are under attack. Every single day the persecutions come. Every single day we're facing challenge after challenge. And God's word is clearly given to us so that we would know how to live in the midst of that kind of season, in the midst of that kind of attack. And so today that is what this word is given to us. Now, I just want to go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want to read a couple of verses right up front that's kind of our our theme, our, our key for the entire sermon. And it's kind of the theme and the key for the entire two books of 1 and 2 Peter. And it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, it says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, if you go back to verse 14, there's an interesting statement that I want to share with you that I want to make sure you understand. It's kind of one of those phrases that you could quickly skim by and and move right by into a more familiar part of this passage that says to be holy for he is holy. But I don't want you to lose sight of what it is that God wants us to see here in verse 14. As obedient children, now that obviously points us to the fact that this is written for believers, right? We are children of God. When you come to that moment when you've trusted and believed that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again, clearly we have the understanding that we become children of God. And so this is directed at you and me for those of us who are followers of Christ. It says, as obedient children, listen to these words now, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. In other words, like don't go back to what was. Don't live your life going back to the old desires, the old evil desires of your former lives, the things that you once did before you came to Christ. Like, don't go back there. Now, we understand that. There are lots of passages in scriptures that that clearly state something uh, similar to what I just read. But I want you to understand kind of the little nuance that's found in the end of that verse 14. 
It says, do not go back or do not be, uh, you know, conformed to the, the evil desires of your former ignorance. Now, in your Bible, you ought to underline, underline those two words, former ignorance. And here's why. Because what that does is it points us to the truth that this is that we once were living our lives in former ignorance. We were once living our lives like walking away from God. We once were not redeemed. We were once not saved. But now, because of Christ, we made the decision to trust Him and to believe in Him. Now we have come out of that position, and now we're in position as children of God, obedient children. Now, here's why that's important. Because it helps us to see that people who disagree with God's Word today, people who are not walking with Christ today, people who have not yet come to salvation through Christ today, that they are no different than we once were. And I think that's such an important statement because so often as Christians, we get to the place where we look down on people who don't know Christ yet. We get to the place where we kind of put them in this little box over here. It's like, well, they're not Christians. They're, you know, they're not like us. And, you know, we kind of you know, move away from them. We try to live our lives away from them. We try to spend our time away from those kinds of people because they're not Christians. They're not saved. They're not like us. They're not redeemed by the blood of Christ. Like, like they're in that box and we're in this box and, and this is good. Don't ever forget that you were once in that box. Don't ever forget that you deserve to be in that box. Don't ever forget that you never could do anything to earn your way out of that box. It is only through the sacrificial death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we were able to crawl out of that box and get into the family of God. Now, we need to understand that because today there's a lot of people in that box over there. There's a lot of people that live in that box, and we are called by God to reach them. We are called by God to minister to them. We are called by God to be a witness to them, which is why verses 14 through 16 are so important, because it tells us as obedient children, do not be conformed to the evil desires of your former ignorance. And then it goes on, make sure we understand this, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. God has called you to to live differently than the world so that we can be a witness and a testimony to people in that box. Know what your responsibility is. We're called to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in light of what we just read, what naturally happens in our journey is that sometimes we feel like we're not good enough. Like we don't know what to say. We don't know how to live. We don't know how we're going to reach them. We're like what can I do? Like my past, my, my past is really bad. How can I reach those people? Man, I messed up in my former self, like in my former ignorance. Like there's no way God can use me. Which brings us to uh, the first point that I want to share with you today, which is clearly an indication that that belief that we're not good enough is not valid according to God's Word. And that's just simply this, is that God's presence in our lives gives us everything that we could ever need. That God's presence in our lives is all that you need to accomplish what God has called you to accomplish. Flip over, if you would, into 2 Peter. It's just a couple of pages over in your Bible or on your screen, a couple of swipes, right? And to just move over into 2 Peter in chapter 1, verse 3, listen to what these words say. It says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Now, here's an important statement, and again, I think you ought to underline it or circle. It's here in verse 3, where it tells us His divine power has given us everything required for, and this is what you ought to underline, for life and godliness. 
God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Now, why is that statement important? Why are those two words like independent of one another? Here's why. Because the first one says that God's given us everything that we need for life. I don't know about you, but uh, going through life, here's what I know. There are lots of times that I face challenge and difficulty and hardship, and I don't know what I'm going to do to make it through. There are moments in my lives, my life where I'm simply like not sure what tomorrow's going to hold because of all the, the issues and the problems and the challenges and the burdens and the heartaches that, that are resting squarely on my back. Let me ask you a question. Anybody here in this room ever feel like that? Just raise your hand. Like you just feel like sometimes life is really tough. Life is difficult. Man, I don't know what I'm going to do. Hey, good news. God's Word says, not a preacher says, God's Word says that in Him that we find everything that is required for life. God is going to bring you through. You will never face anything, no matter how difficult, no matter how challenging, no matter how heartbreaking, you will never face anything in life that God is not going to give you everything that you need to make it through. My dad used to say it this way. He used to say that God will never put more on you than He puts in you to bear it up. That no matter what difficulties you face, no matter how great the hardship is that you're carrying, the baggage that you have on your back, God is going to give you what you need, everything required for life. But notice what it says immediately following that. You will have everything that is required for life, good news, and godliness. In other words, God is not only going to give you everything that you need in order to make it through this thing called life, God is going to give you everything that you need so that you can help others make it through this thing called life. That you will be the witness and the testimony that God has called you to be. In other words, not one person sitting in this room is bad enough, has messed up enough, has lived a life difficult enough that you can't be used by God to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus told us in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Acts chapter 1, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples of all the nations, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. When he told us that, when he gave us that mission statement, that great commission statement, he made it clear like it is your job and your duty to reach the people who are in that box. But God, I'm not good enough. God, I don't know what to say. God, I'm not, I'm not smart enough. I don't know how to do it. They're going to make fun of me. God, I'm not good enough. And God says, oh, that's okay. I know you're not good enough, but I'll give you everything required for life and for godliness. Everything God has called you to be, God has given you in order to actually be able to accomplish it. When God tells you to be holy and you think, man, I can't do that. I struggle too much. God has given you everything that you need in order to be holy. When God tells us it's your duty and your responsibility to reach others with the gospel, man, I don't know what to say. God has given you everything that you need in life and in godliness to be the witness that he's called you to be. Every one of us in this room has someone in our lives that God wants to use to reach them with the gospel. Someone who's away from God, someone who's living like in a, in a way that like completely opposite of God's word. And probably some of you in this room right now, that name is running through your mind. You know who they are. And maybe you have a burden for them that you want to reach them, but you have allowed yourself to buy into the deception that Satan wants you to believe is that you are not the one to do it that you don't have what it takes, that you don't know what to say, that you're not the right person because maybe that person knows what you used to be like. Maybe that person knows how you used to live. And because of that, you think, well, I've disqualified myself from being an example for Christ because he knows what I did before. God will give you everything that is required for life and for 
godliness. Man, that's an important statement. Don't ever forget that because of the presence of God in your lives, because of the promise that God has given to us through his word, like there's nothing that you will ever face, experience, walk through that God has not fully equipped you to come through in victory. Now, in practice, how do we make sure that we actually live that out? Well, Peter gives us some great statements on how we can do that. He tells us basically as a result, we should make sure that in our lives, if we're going to live that life of godliness that he's called us to live, if we're going to be holy for God is holy, we should always make sure that we focus on the things above this world. Seek the things that are above. Look what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 5. In verse 5 it says this, for this very reason. Make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities uh, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, I don't know if you caught that verse, those verses I just read to you, verses 5 through 8, but man, that that answers every time that you think that you're not good enough, that answers that challenge right there. That tells you what you need to know when you are believing the deceptions that Satan wants you to believe, that you're not good enough, not smart enough, not wise enough, not uh, holy enough. Like that answers it right there. Now go back to that verse, verse 5. In verse 5 it tells us, so make every effort to supplement your faith. You ought to circle, underline, highlight the word supplement. Why? Because what that tells us is that we must work diligently in our journey with Christ to add to our faith. Now, do not misunderstand what I'm saying. Your faith in Christ is everything that you need for salvation. It's not like there's, you know, the decision to trust Christ plus that gets you to heaven. Like, believing that Jesus died and that He rose again, believing in Him, that is what gives you the gift of salvation. So why is it that Peter said, supplement your faith? Here's why. Because God wants us to understand, to recognize that when we come to that decision, that moment, that point where we believe that Christ is, that He died, that He rose again, that He is our salvation, and we believe that with all of our hearts, God does not want to leave us there. It's kind of the idea that if we're standing in this box over here that is away from God, that's lost, that doesn't know Christ, and then we believe in Christ, so we climb out of the box and we're just on the other side of the box, God does not want us to hang out next to this box. God wants us to continue to move further. Why? Because He said, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 through 16, be holy because God is holy. So supplement your faith, add to it, grow in your faith. How do we do that? Well, here's what it says. It says, make sure that as we supplement our faith, that we do so with goodness. Now, goodness brings about the idea of moral excellence. In other words, like this idea of morality, like like wanting to live out the principles that are found in God's Word, the things that God's Word commands us to do. Now, how do we do that? Well, we put goodness with knowledge. In other words, you will never be able to live a life that is seeking holiness if we do not have knowledge of what holiness is. Where do we find what not holiness is? We do not find it in the world. We do not find it in teachings of other religions and other people. We find it through the Word of God. 
So it's knowledge of God's Word, knowledge of His nature, knowledge of who He is and what He wants to say to us. And so we supplement our faith with goodness. We do that because with goodness we bring about knowledge. And as we spend time studying God's Word, as we spend time soaking in who God is and what God has said to us, that goodness and that knowledge will then lead to self-control. In other words, the ability to avoid the things that naturally you're inclined to do. Everyone in this room, guess what you have? You have an evil nature, a sinful nature, every one of us. That's not a criticism, that's reality. We all are born with a sinful nature. We're naturally drawn to do that which dishonors God. So how do we overcome that? We overcome that through number one, believing in Christ, seeking the forgiveness of our sins through His substitutionary death and His resurrection. And then through that, we then move towards living our lives of holiness, pursuing goodness and holiness according to God's Word. We do that by gaining knowledge of who God is and what God has said, which drives us to then self-control, to be able to control what we do and how we live. But listen to this next statement. And through self-control, endurance. Now that statement, that word endurance, literally is the idea of being able to stand up under the weight, to be able to overcome the great burden that you have. Remember how we talked about a few moments ago that God's going to give you everything that you need? Like this is what he's talking about, endurance, being able to stand up under the weight. Now to give you an example of what that looks like. So this week, my son Nicholas and his wife Abby, they got married a year ago. Yesterday there was an anniversary, and, and so they moved into a, a new place. And so this week they're, you know, they're moving all their furniture and all their clothes and all. It's amazing how much junk you can collect in one year. And so we're moving all their stuff from their, their, you know, their townhouse and over to their new place. And so we're moving it and we're, you know, drive back and forth with a little trailer back and forth. And, and so uh, the other night I went over to help them move their, their washer and dryer. And so I went over there, and Nick was there, and Abby was there, and then Reese, Nick's best friend, was there. And, and so we get there, and we have to move the washer and dryer from the townhouse. And so, you know, not, while Nick is watching us, Reese and I are moving all the heavy stuff. Smart kid. I trained him up well. You know, train them up well, and they, they will stick to it. So, you know, and so Nicholas, I mean, Reese and I, we get down, and we get underneath that washer, and we lift up that washer, and it's pretty heavy. And it's just the two of us, and we're trying to, you know, angle through the door and get it through the door and get it outside to get it to the trailer. We got the washer out there, and then we came back and we lifted up that dryer, and we, you know, kind of carried it through. Nicholas supervised awesome. He was fantastic. He watched us really well. And then we moved through the door and got outside, got that in the trailer. And, man, we closed up the trailer. We drove to the new place and got there. And when we got there, Nicholas announced to us that he had something really cool at his new house. And what he had at his new house were these things that were like harnesses that you put around your shoulders. And so you put these harnesses on your shoulders. And so I had one and Reese had one. And then there's this big strap that connects to my harness and it goes underneath the washer and it hooks up to his harness. And guess what? Now you don't have to lift that thing up. Literally all you do is stand up and it's the easiest thing in the world. We were able to walk in and carry his washer and his dryer into his house. We didn't even use our hands. We're just like walking like this and we're like, you know, waving like, this is so cool. Again, Nicholas supervising, walking in and it was amazing. I will never do anything like that again in the rest of my life without one of those harnesses. I've decided I'm going to wear one of those every single day. I mean, it just made things so much easier to be able to move that washer and that dryer into his new house. Now listen, the idea is this. The same picture comes through our growing relationship with Christ. You see, when we come to that place where we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, 
And then we pursue holiness, and through holiness we pursue knowledge, and pursue knowledge, then we develop self-control, and then self-control helps us to develop endurance. It helps us to overcome the weight that we have in life. And understand this, God would not have put the word endurance in this verse if it was not true that all of us are going to face great weights. God would not have talked about endurance if we didn't know for sure. And if he wasn't telling us, like, no questions about it, you're going to face difficult days. But see, this idea of endurance is that that we'll be able to withstand the, the weight that we have to lift every day. Why? Because God is with us. So we have to make sure that we focus our lives and, and, and point our lives towards seeking the things that are above, avoiding what is natural, avoiding what we naturally want to do. So that brings us to the third idea this passage tells us, is if we're going to make sure that we're seeking the things that are above, the natural opposite of that is that we're going to spend our lives avoiding the things of the world. So we're seeking the things above while we're avoiding the things below. Go back to this passage and look what it says. 2 Peter chapter 1, go back to verse 4, and it says these words, it says, by these he has given us a very great and precious uh, promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, uh, the divine nature escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Why? Through the great promises of God, through his presence in your lives, you will be able to avoid the stressors, the temptations, the problems, and the evil desires that are present every single day. How do we do it? Do we do it through your ability and my ability? Do we do it through our ability? We do it through the presence of God and the promises that He's given to us that He will bring us through, that by focusing on Him, we'll be able to avoid the things of this world. And flip back over, if you would, to 1 Peter. Go back a couple of pages to chapter 2. Listen to what it says. Here's how we do this. Verse 1. So therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Let me stop right there for a moment. I'm going to read that again. Look at it on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Let me ask you a practical question. Do you think if we, the Church of Jesus Christ, could actually accomplish what it tells us to accomplish in verse 1, do you think the world would look a little bit differently than it does today? Ridding ourselves of malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, do you think like the world would be a better place to be? Let me stop. Let me, let me change that. Do you think the church would be a better place to be? Do you think this room would be a better place to sit? The answer is absolutely yes. You see, Peter says, listen, your job, your responsibility, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Get rid of that stuff. Like newborn infants, I love this, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you, are, you yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. That statement there, desire the Word of God like a newborn baby desires pure milk. I love that idea because what it does, it gives us the picture of this. The more that you desire God's Word, the more you'll avoid the evil of this world. The more that we avoid the evil of this world, the more that we will become like Him. 
The more that we spend our time running away from the things that are surrounding that box, the more that we will experience the presence and the power and the joy of the presence of God every single day. Christ came and he died and he rose again so that we might have life in his name and that we might have joy for today to live the way that God has called us to live. So for all of us, is that the journey we're on? Is that how we're living out our faith? Let me read one more passage to you out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The idea that's found in these two letters of 1 Peter and 2 Peter is just simply this. Daryl Robertson said it best when he said this, we're called to be citizens of heaven on mission for Jesus in a hostile world. That is what God has called us to be. Be holy, for he is holy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the change and the challenge and the conviction that it brings in our lives. God, I, I pray that for every person listening to these words today, Lord, that we would make the determination in our own journeys, in our own lives, that we would seek to be like you, to be more like you, to be holy because you are. God, I pray for that person who might be watching or listening or sitting in this room today that has never come to that place where they can be called a child of God because they've never trusted and believed that Jesus is your son, that he died and that he rose again. God, I pray that right now, right here, in this moment, Father, that they would make the decision to believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he is, that he did exactly what your word says that he did, and that they would call on your name, as Romans 10, 13 tells us, and they will be saved. With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed, today the invitation is easy. Today there's basically two questions that need to be asked, aimed at two different boxes. The first question is aimed at that box over there that we talked about earlier. The box of people who've never come to that place where they believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again. And I just want you to know, like everything we've talked about today, clearly as I shared, this, this letter was written to, to the people who have trusted Christ. And maybe you're sitting here saying, well, this is not relevant to me because I've never come to that moment. I've never believed. But here's the thing you need to recognize. God loves you and Christ died for you. And he wants you to get out of that box and get into, as we just read, into his marvelous light. God wants you to experience salvation that comes through Christ and Christ alone. And so if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible just simply tells us, believe that Jesus is God's son. Believe that he died and that he rose again. Romans 10, 13, and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, the invitation to you is a moment when we stand that you walk down these aisles and talk with one of our team members that are gathered here and just simply say, I want to be saved. They'd love to share that with you. Here's the second question, the second invitation. It's for the people who are in the other box, in the box of people who have trusted and believed that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again. But yet there has been no change, that you are not seeking to be holy for he is holy. You are not running after the things of, this, of heaven, you're running after the things of this world. 
You're not avoiding the things that are all around us, the the constant temptations and the pressure to live life according to the ideals of the world rather than the ideals of God's word. And so the invitation for you today is maybe you will need to come down here in a moment and just kneel at this altar and say, God, I'm sorry. Like I've been doing it wrong. I've messed up. But today I'm changing it. Today, everything changes. I want to live for you. Maybe you want to come and join our church or come for baptism. That's great. But clearly today, according to this, this study that we've done today through two different books, it's just simply this, like, like two questions, two boxes. You need to ask yourself, which box am I in? And number two, what am I going to do with it? Father, I pray right now for every person gathered here. In a moment as we stand and as we sing together, I pray that you would speak to their hearts. Drive them to make the decision that you're calling them to make right now. God, do a work in their lives in this moment. And for that, we give you the praise. Let's stand. As Scott leads us, I encourage you to step out right now. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever today I pray that you would drive each and every one of us to be what you've called us to be. God, we thank you that you have equipped us with everything that is needed for the journey. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk out of here today. Lord, encourage because we know that you're with us every step. The Holy Spirit of God goes with us. And so God, I pray that we would live our lives as lights in a dark world. That we would point people to you. We a witness and a testimony that is so needed in today's culture. God, I pray that through that, because of that, Lord, that we would see revival break out in our hearts and in the hearts of those in this community. God, we pray that you would do a great work through each and every one of us. And Lord, for that, we'll give you the praise. We thank you, God, for the gift of your son. We thank you that Jesus died and that he rose again. And that it is in Christ and Christ alone that we have our salvation. Thank you, God, for what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't forget, guys, the altar's open. If you need to come down and make a decision to talk with one of our team, we'd love to talk with you. God bless you. Have a great day. You can pick up those CDs out in the lobby if you want them. Pick up your tickets to the VCS. God bless you and have a great day. 
Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.